0: Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. We are here today at Brown Girls Rising with Eileen from Our Sacred Women. And I am so excited because this is one of my Insta crushes, you guys. This is somebody I met on Instagram. And you know how I get real fangirlish with people. So when I got to meet her in person last year around our conference time, it was definitely a big deal. We met at the Boss Ladies magazine issue two launch party at Olive in June in person. And I am so excited to have her here. And one of our fellow Brown Tribe ladies expanding into women's experiences that we're talking to, Eileen, proud Filipina, amazing person, marriage and family, therapist, entrepreneur, mom, fabulous person, Eileen, welcome. Thank you, it's an honor to be here. For our audience who's not too familiar, or if they're not, they should be, please tell us a little bit about yourself your and your business.
1: So I am the founder of Our Sacred Women. We're a fairly new social enterprise. We offer specialty goods that help women feel seen, valued, and honored. And in addition to that, I am also, as Audrey mentioned, a marriage and family therapist. And I'm also a yoga instructor. So while those may all seem a bit varied, I, I do bring to all those roles this passion for helping people to connect meaningfully with themselves and with others. And through that, hopefully cultivating these moments where people feel witnessed and affirmed which is, I think, something we're needing more of these days.
0: I, I have to tell you, I don't think those things sound disjointed at all. I think they sound completely related. And in fact, I distinctly remember my very first yoga experience. I, after my broken engagement, used to have panic attacks. I mean, severe, debilitating panic attacks. I was going through an ugly restraining order process. Mm. I was very um, stressed out. It was that we doing legal stuff and... I felt like the whole world was caving in on me, and somebody suggested I go to yoga, and I went to a hot yoga class, Mm -hmm. and I'll never forget this. It was an evening class. It was a full moon. It was in Long Beach at Purple Yoga. If anybody knows, high five to Purple Yoga. The instructor's name was Siri. This is before Siri on the iPhone, (laughs) so this is my original Siri. And at the end of the class, we're laying in Shavasana. I was exhausted. I had done things I didn't know that my body could bend in that way. And I didn't feel like I was keeping up with everybody. Mm -hmm. And she said, we're just going to lay here a little longer. And she lit tea lights. And she came around with lavender essential oils. And um, as we were laying there in the dark, I remember her standing over each of us. And she said, this is going to be a longer class. I want you to set your intentions. Oh, my God. I'm going to try not to cry. And she she rubbed her hands together with the oils and she put her hands. She came by and at each person she stopped and put her hands on our heads. Mm -hmm. And she just stayed there for a moment, breathing in with you and letting go. And I remember crying. Yeah. Like for the first time in a long time, just kind of sobbing. And then I couldn't stop crying. I cried forever. Other people were very emotional. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself afterwards, there was a bunch of us talking to each other and everybody's like, oh, I just got divorced. Oh, I got divorced. Oh, I had a broken (laughs) engagement. And I'm like, this is yoga for divorcees, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) And I'm not even divorced. So therefore, I didn't even make it to the cut. But I think that was the first time. Talk about being seen, Mm -hmm. allowing you to see yourself. for where you're at. And that is so deep in the personal development movement. So I think that is tremendous. And that yoga class changed my life.
1: Yeah,
0: It quite frankly changed my life. I think it's the first time that I really realized that breathing is my best friend. My breath is my power. Mm -hmm. When I feel out of control, it's typically because I'm not controlling my breathing. And what can I do to tone it back in, bring it back in? It exposed me to Kundalini yoga later, Mm -hmm. which I've become a huge fan of. And when I feel out of control, i Shoot, I did it earlier today in between recordings. I had to stop and take a couple of minutes while I was having lunch with a mantra because I was losing it, so to speak. Right. I was losing my shit, guys, in an ugly way. It was not pretty. But it's so important to be able to create space to allow yourself. And for the longest time in my adult life, I really didn't give permission. And I'm sure you see this in your practice constantly.
1: Yeah. And, you know, considering what you were going through, Audrey, at the time that you took that class, it makes so much sense that... You had that moment of so much emotion, just so much was going on. And I think that that reflects just so many people's day to day now is we're moving so fast, doing so many things, multitasking, and it's hard. It's really hard to give ourselves permission to just take a break, to just slow down. Like I'm coming off a really busy week where some days I was sleeping maybe five hours and it's really hypocritical because I, I, I have here this company called Our Sacred Women, and I'm struggling to honor my sacred essence and to honor my body. So I'm, I'm glad that you took the time to give yourself that space.
0: Oh, yeah. And that five minutes made a big difference today. It really did help. And I think, I think a lot of people feel that way. As an entrepreneur, I do that, and I have been known, I call it my numbing's right? When I'm really stressed out, I do all of the too much is a little too much sex, a little too much alcohol, mm. a little too much food. In fact, I just started working out with a trainer and doing a meal prep program because I literally was feeling out of control. I've talked about it here on the podcast, but I would go to sad hour, not happy hour and mm. sad hours when you drink to forget the day. Yeah. And then you're eating cheese. And for me, I would get drunk and then want fried cheese.
1: <laughs> I've been craving in and out fries. <laughs>
0: I mean, emotional eating is such a real thing, and it it truly happens. I think the other thing that happens with the too muches or not enoughs is when we don't feel. And this is why we talk about this with worthy women a lot. When you don't feel enough of something, it's somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. It is a blaming. It's everything around you except for you. It is this feeling of nothing is going to work or it has to look a certain way. So I'm going to control, manipulate, and force everything to look the way that I think it is. And then it doesn't happen. And it's like, well, okay. um, It could work. I could try. Or maybe I just need to try a little harder. Or maybe this just isn't meant to be this way and I have to release it and let go of, what I thought it was going to be like so that I can try to create something that is meant to happen and let it have space. And I think really, again, what that comes down to is allowing, mm-hmm. right? Allowing yeah. for ourselves the incur- and the encouragement. So I want to bring up one of your products. Mm-hmm. You've got this mama card. Ah, uh, yes. Because especially as a mom and an entrepreneur yourself, tell us a little bit about that card.
1: Yes, that card is very special. It came as a result of my own experience birthing my daughter, Celine. So I had spent nine months growing this human Mm -hmm. and spent about eight plus hours. Um, I had a natural birth, a water birth, and it was everything I wanted. It was really painful. It's pain that I cannot even describe to you. And moments after she came out, I noticed this shift in the room, like all the attention went to her, which part of me recognized was normal or what I would expect. Right. And another part of me, and I couldn't name this at the time, it took several months to really process, but the other part of me felt like rejected or ignored or just invisible. Yeah. And I had told my husband later that had I run a marathon or did the Ironman, I think people would have been more in awe of what I had just done. And And, you birthed a baby. And I I birthed a baby. With no epidural. Right. And so from that came this idea of a phrase that could help other women hopefully feel seen and affirmed for what they had accomplished, which is huge. Right. Growing and birthing a baby. Um, So the phrase, you got this mama, was born of, of my daughter's birth. So what is also special about the card is a partnership with Alliance of Moms. And so for every card that's bought, we donate a card with a handwritten note to a pregnant or parenting mama in foster care here in Los Angeles.
0: Oh, I love that. Yes, yeah,
1: so it's a very special buy one give one campaign and I love knowing that all that positive energy that someone brought to purchasing that card and that intention in giving it to someone in their life, that it's being passed on to other mamas who are very much in need of the same kind of support.
0: Yeah. And I think that we truly are in support. You know, we talk about worthy women and Brown Girls Rising. And I think so much of our our challenges in those communities, as I hear the feedback from the audience, is that they don't feel support. Mm -hmm. Or they don't have a support system that is supporting them in the way that they need. And they don't. Here's the deeper part they don't know how to articulate what it is that they need. Mm -hmm. So they don't know how to ask for it. So they're not getting it. And they're surrounding themselves with things that they think will solve it. But because they're not pinpointing what that is, they don't get why it's not supporting them and and they're not feeling it still. And they're like, why must it must be me. And then it becomes an internalized shame. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I think is so detrimental and so unfortunate because it's so shaming to not It's so shaming to talk about it still, I think, for a lot of people in receiving that to even say, like, I need help. I'll give you an example. As an entrepreneur, I struggle to say, I need help. I struggle to come to my team and say, I need additional help with this. I also micromanage from a place of control. When I feel out of control somewhere else, I I tend to micromanage internally. That's what ends up happening. It's also the same reason I obsessively clean my closet when I'm stressed. If I reorganize that closet, then I have conquered something, or I clean, right? right. I become a—I call it the angry cleaning. When I am stressed, I scrub tile, mm-hmm. and I will feel very happy when those grout lines are white. <laughs> I will have accomplished something. But as an entrepreneur, I think that there is still, even though, and I and I talk about this every day. This is—I've literally built a business around being open and sharing this. So it, it can be hypocritical where I sit here and I go. I don't always feel enough. Or people say, oh, you talk about worthiness all the time. You must feel so worthy. Half the time, not really. Half the time, I don't feel very worthy at all. In fact, you can find me in the corner like eating an ice cream cone going, it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. If you didn't see me eat it, it didn't count.
1: So in therapy, we have the saying that you attract the clients you need. Mm. And that comes to mind as I was listening to you that the things that we are trying to offer the world are oftentimes things that we're working on In our own lives, there are things that we need to integrate more into our lives. I think the beauty is in realizing that there's that parallel process happening. Yeah. And so you're not out there just trying to help others, but you're recognizing that helping others is helping you. And it's this co-created process, this journey you're you're walking together on.
0: Yeah. It's absolutely all of that. It truly, truly is. Marianne Williamson, A Return to Love was a huge book for me. A Course in Miracles has been transformative for me. In fact, I still study my daily lesson every day. I've been through A Course in Miracles like three times now. uh, And it never gets old. It's always something new because I feel like I'm seeing it with new eyes as I have new experiences. And one of the lines from that, and I can't remember if it's directly from A Course in Miracles or her interpretation, but it's to teach us to heal. Mm, Right? That's good. And it's that, and people always say that you must feel so worthy. And I think what people fail to recognize is that when I started Worthy Women, it was for me, it was so selfishly for me that I said, I am going through this right now. And at the time it was finances, so that was our first event. Mm -hmm. And it turns out everyone else in the audience also is going through the same thing. Partnerships, same thing, fertility, same thing, mentorship, all those topics as we kind of evolved in that first set of events. And realizing that what we are always only ever looking for, that our audience is and that we are, is oneness. Mm -hmm. And this sense of my problems are not unique to me. I need to know that other people have them because if other people have them, then I'm not alone. Therefore, I'm not some freak of nature and there's not something inherently wrong with me. Other people have it, which is why we focus so much of our content on the shared experience that people have and universality of these things that entrepreneurs face, that creatives face, that people face advancing their career. Everyone faces them on some level or another, Mm -hmm. which I think is so important. And truly the sense of, we almost apply it like a 12-step program, Mm -hmm. uh, cleaning up your side of the street first. Right. Yeah. It's almost, it's literally just like that. It's what are the things I need to own? What is the narrative I need to become comfortable with? That is my truth. Right. Where do I need to make amends for things that I have not done? And how am I going to practice on a daily basis, one day at a time, one small step at a time, continuity in what I'm building now and moving forward and being a better person in the world? Because I have now grown up a little and I recognize what the impact
1: that I have on everyone else. And myself. Mm -hmm. One of the the biggest reasons why I admire you, Audrey, and the work you're doing with Worthy Women is how you're bringing a very vulnerable part of yourself to that work. You're showing up um, in a way that helps other women show up um, and to share the parts of themselves that they may otherwise be ashamed to share for fear of being rejected or not looking professional enough. Yeah. Yeah. I admire businesses as I'm moving along in my own entrepreneurial journey. I admire other businesses that aren't just trying to make money but are trying to impart onto the world something that's healing, something that's going to transform a person's felt experience.
0: I think what's um most interesting about that and thank you so much for your words because we it truly feels that that's what we're doing and it's it's so humbling to feel that other people share that experience with me, right? It's my it's part of my own healing. An upcoming guest that we're having on this podcast, Lainey Dyson, she said this to me this weekend and it really got to me. She said, "Someone's healing is waiting through your revealing."
1: Oh, that is so good. Right? That's like a I, quote to put on a I could not stop Banner. thinking
0: about it. And she had heard it from somebody else and she, it resonated mm-hmm. with her and she gave it to me. And I sat there and I thought, oh, my gosh, that is what our audience gets. In fact, that's what Brown Girls Rising, that is one of the biggest feedback points that we've heard through our audience is the revelations that our guests choose to make and own about their stories is where they find their most healing.
1: And I experienced that myself, Audrey, in listening to past podcasts, um, past episodes of your podcast. Um, I honestly did not realize that I tend to listen to podcasts that are hosted by mainly Caucasian oh, yeah. women. We all do. We all do. <laughs> like, it. I did not even realize it. Yeah. And here I am in Asian American studies major. <laughs> You'd think that the diversity lens would be on all the time, but I didn't even know. And so in listening to Brown Girls Rising, I was like, shoot, I've been missing so much. And it was so refreshing to hear, you know, all the dialogue, all the the talk about politics and Um, your culture and your race and your socioeconomic set, like all of that blended in to one's experience as an entrepreneur.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's how we show up in the world, which I imagine you see both for women that are purchasing your products through our sacred women and also in your practice. And I have to ask you because this is Brown Girls Rising what does being a brown girl mean to you and is that something that you've always had pride or is it something that you've maybe had shame about we've gotten a lot of mixed responses from past guests both on the show and from our audience that they go either way or they go both
1: growing up i often heard from family members not to be outside too long because you get dark and i know that this has come up a lot on the show and yet as a teen and in college I was proud to be tan because I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I could just go outside for a little bit, go to the beach, lay out. It was interesting. This issue of, of skin tone came up when I gave birth to my daughter. My mm-hmm. partner is lighter skin Filipino. Um, I'm more brown. And when she came out and as she was growing, people in my family often would comment on her appearance and say, oh, she looks like your husband, but she has your skin. Oh, Yes, and that intonation and that, you know, implied meaning being that having my skin was not good, that the preference would be to have her father's skin to be lighter, to be lighter. Um, and I think that's su- such an echo of Western colonization of the Philippines, which is where my family's from.
0: Yeah. Oh, speaking of the colonization of of the Philippines, I've always said that like the Philippines is Latin East for us, right? <laughs> Because, I mean, think about it. Tocalo sounds incredibly similar to Spanish. There's heavy influences. Mm-hmm. The food is tremendously similar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Everything in the culture, Catholic.
1: Yeah. Right. We, we were colonized by Spanish oh, yeah. first. Heavily <laughs> Catholic.
0: And the culture of the feeding. Everything is done around food and mm-hmm. it's done around, quite frankly, nurturing your elders. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Like you're when your parents get older, you don't ship them off to a nursing home. No offense, right. white people and other people. But your your parents stay with you in the home,
1: mm-hmm.
0: servicing all the needs. Your kids are not being raised by strangers, you know. Maybe your Lola is watching them.
1: Yes. Like somebody <laughs> is watching them. Lolo and is watching Celine right yes, now. Yes. There is this
0: sense of we do it together, we do it as families, heavily immigrant families. Mm-hmm. And even like I think of my own family who all lives close by and all has all purchased homes. I literally have an aunt and uncle who bought lots side by side from each other and built front back houses, (laughs) literally live side by side. And they're duplexes, one, you know, front and back house on the same lot. And another, you know, aunt and uncle lives down the street and everybody lives like in a five mile radius from each other because we're just always together. And I feel like if any other culture is like us. It's you guys <laughs> and the heavy. And here's the other thing. I mean, it's arguable that many other Asian American cultures would be that way or other, you know, Middle Eastern, any other type of group. Absolutely. But the Catholic influence. Oh, yeah. I think is really where I start to see, like, you guys are literally just like us. We're the same. Mm-hmm. We're same, same, except except, not everybody recognizes you guys as Asian or even Pacific Islander. It's like right. this weird kind of like puerto rico what do you call puerto rico (laughs) it's it's u.s adjacent and and u.s ish
1: yeah i totally agree audrey as i was listening to other episodes of this podcast there's so many times i was like wait that's me (laughs) that's my story yes yeah it absolutely is like the double standard with food and weight and body image i was So all about that. For example, you had discussed before about Tia's telling you, telling whoever um, that they may be a bit overweight, but then they'll turn around and offer you food and expect you to eat the food. It's the same in Filipino culture.
0: Oh, I'm doing that right now that I'm meal planning and I'm on these, you know, these meal plans. So they're portion controlled and I'm not supposed to eat outside of the meal plans. I can snack, but I have like appropriate lists of snacks that I can have and other things that I substitute in. And the number one thing, like I was at a family dinner just before I went out of town. And I'm sitting there eating my meal and I have an aunt over and she's like, but why aren't you eating what we made? And I said, because I'm doing this. Hi, why do you want to lose weight? You look just fine. How offensive. You don't want to eat my food. Hi, don't lose too much weight. Nobody's going to want you. Who's going to want you so thin? It's so confusing. Like a week ago, she told me, oh my gosh, your face. Oh, you have like this, the papada, which is a double chin. Uh, And she literally like tapped it at me like, oh, lift your chin. I can see your double chin. And I'm like, did you not just tell me that a week ago? No wonder. it is. Oh, and I can only imagine because you have a psychology background. Like I sit there and I think of, you know, my mom's relationship with food. She's definitely an emotional eater. She's not heavily overweight, but she is an emotional eater. I'll give you an example. My mom also tried the meal plans, right? She said, oh, I want to do it with you. Very supportive. Except on day three, my mom, I go, mom, how? what did you have for lunch today? Like, what was your lunch? And she goes, oh, I couldn't eat it. I had to have a steak sandwich. <laughs> so mom, much for support. Mom, that's not, and I go, mom, that's not on the meal plan. You're not supposed to have the bread. And that's mm-hmm. definitely not on the meal plan. And she goes, you don't understand my day, Audrey. I deserved that. And I sat there in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me when I go, I deserve that glass of rosé. I deserve that glass of wine and the second one and the third and the cheese. And here's the other thing I'm really learning to recognize about myself now that I'm a little bit older. I just turned 31. I have an addictive personality. Hmm. And I don't think, so the one thing that drives me is the same thing that harms me, Mm -hmm. right? You don't get to be an entrepreneur and put things out at the level that we do here, both on the Worthy Women's side, uh, Brown Girls Rising production, any of the work that I do without being an obsessive workaholic. I mean, obsessed with details and being neurotic, Mm -hmm. right? Almost to the point of being crazy. And entrepreneurs have to be crazy to actually believe their own ideas and make them come to fruition because logic would not support those things. I recognize that in myself, but I also recognize where it totally sabotages me and it is a constant dichotomy and balance that I always try to play and not in a work life balance, but in like a mental, spiritual and now physical way of how am I supporting myself physically because I can't continue to be this crazy and do all this work. If I'm so tired right. and nothing fits me and I feel miserable and I have a stress rash, which up until recently I'd had for weeks, I was, wow. hives, I mm-hmm. called it the hive beard. It broke out all over my face, around my jawline. And the more stress I got, the more it would itch. Mm-hmm. I look like a meth addict scratching oh my, my face. I couldn't stop and nothing would solve it. Guess what? I got rid of dairy. I got rid of carbs wow. and I used some stress in my life and made some changes in the office environment and some of the work that we're doing. Stress rash is gone.
1: But Audrey, wouldn't you say that part of all of that, too, is our culture to be productive, that pressure to perform?
0: I wear exhaustion like a badge of pride, and that is a scary thing. And I, I would argue that not just entrepreneurs, but I think women and women of color, we, and maybe you feel this way, I know I do, I constantly feel like I have to prove myself
1: mm-hmm.
0: just a little more than everybody else.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I grew up with that too, this idea that as immigrants or rather the the children of immigrants that we need to take advantage of all the opportunities that our parents gave us and to better our lives. And part of that is that pressure to, to perform, it, to succeed. Oh,
0: absolutely. And the association that love and belonging comes when you're perfect. Yes. And I think for me as the daughter of immigrants, That was a big thing. It was you have to do everything perfect because that's what we came to this country for. And when you don't, there must be something wrong with you. You must not appreciate my sacrifice. Exactly. The martyrness.
1: Yes. I have struggled with that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And the first word that comes to my mind is resentment.
0: I just did it to somebody uh, that was on our team. I literally just did this to somebody on our team and it was a total martyr reminded me of my mother where I was I had to take a step back and I was like do you not realize the things that I sacrifice for uh, you
1: yeah and yeah.
0: as an entrepreneur that's a real thing it means everyone else gets paid before I do mm-hmm. it means everyone else's needs get met before mine and my integrity's on the line my business is on the line my reputation my finances mm-hmm. everything is on the line and I'm the only one who always has to come up with it because I'm a solo founder. And there very much is this sense of when it doesn't feel appreciated or you feel alone, Mm -hmm. you sit there and you go, why don't you understand and can't, why can't you see that I'm doing all this for you? It's almost like I imagine like parents must feel that way about their right. kids.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right?
0: And then you're like, well, then it's resentful, right? It's like, well, why don't you do this for me? Why don't you realize how much I'm suffer- I'm sacrificing for you? Right. And I had to take a step back and say, you know what? I need to do this for me. This is me first and foremost. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, isn't it interesting how we hear our parents in what we're saying?
0: I have become my mother.
1: Yes. So it's interesting how – Things are passed on through generations. I did not realize that certain behavior that I guiltily do was something my mom, is something my mom does, is something that her father does, which is I'll be in moments where I'm flooded. I'm just overwhelmed with emotion and frustrated. Say we're supposed to go out somewhere. And then I'll just blow up at my partner and say, you know, never mind. We don't need to go. We don't have to go. Oh, I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> Your mom does that.
0: I do this to my team where I'm like, I'll ask them to do something and it's not done yet or they haven't done it yet and it's coming up. And I'm like, forget it. I'll just do it myself.
1: Yeah. So I just recently learned my, I realized that my mom does that and her father, I learned that her father did it. It made me feel a little less guilty because I was thinking, oh, I guess I didn't come up with that on my own. But I think once you realize the things that you're doing, something that may have been inherited. You have to make a conscious decision. Is this something I want to continue to to bring into my life? Do I want to pass this on to my children? And now being a mother, um, that question comes to mind a lot is, is this something I'm going to pass on to Celine? This behavior, this value, this perspective. Right. So it's making me question a lot of what I grew up with, what I inherited.
0: Yeah. So I have a question here for you. As you've grown the community of our sacred women and you have such a beautiful, loyal community. I see the comments. um, I follow it. That's how I found you. And I loved it. There was something about it that felt warm. It's like a cocoon. It literally feels kind of like warm, safe. And like, this is beautiful. And not just because it's aesthetically pleasing to look at and visually stunning, but it's, it's beautiful in this sense of like, I feel loved. Like it's a, if I'm wrapped in a warm, fuzzy pink blanket, that's it. That's your Instagram page. <laughs> and so I'm curious for you as a leader and recognizing in yourself these things, how has that changed as your community has grown and changed the way that you lead and share messages or has it?
1: I launched Our Sacred Women in August of 2016. So we haven't been out in the world for that much time. But in- these past number of months, um, the response has been tremendous. And I've felt just so honored to see both men and women resonate with the message, women are sacred, and to, to feel compelled to share it with people in their lives and with the world at large. And as my following has grown, as this movement has grown, I think it's just given me more conviction to keep moving forward with the message I started out with, which is to help women feel seen, valued, and honored. The feedback I've gotten has has mirrored that mission. People are are using our products as a way to help in their own healing process. And as I continue to grow OSW this year, I'm hoping to reach even more people Um, And to share more of the stories from customers of how the products have been integrated into their lives, how in gifting the products to other people who are special to them, what has that interaction looked like? Um, Has it created what I had hoped, which was a moment where one feels witnessed and affirmed, much like in therapy, where a client can feel seen and held by their therapist or by the loved one who's in the room with them.
0: You know, that's interesting. Um, Oprah, I heard her say this in an interview and I've I've quoted it or paraphrased it myself. People only ever want to feel seen. They want to feel heard and they want to know that what they say matters to you, right? That's all we ever want. Do you see me? Do you hear me? And does what I say matter? Mm-hmm. In my last relationship when I broke up with my boyfriend, I literally said, you don't see me, you don't hear me, and I don't think what I say matters.
1: Right, mm-hmm. Audrey, I think that that is such a common experience.
0: Yeah. I didn't feel seen. And yet I also think about where I am now. And I can tell you a relationship that lasted a long time that I'm obviously not in anymore, that was the most transformative adult romantic relationship I've ever had was – a particular relationship where I felt seen. Mm -hmm. Seen and seen for more than I even realized I was to myself. Yeah. Right? And I quite honestly would not be where I am today in business and personally had it not been for that relationship and for that person seeing me.
1: Yeah. Just the moment, right? Or that that
0: that relationship
1: moment. That relationship.
0: the evolution of that relationship, and even now that I'm not in it, and I'm in a I'm in a different one with an incredible partner who absolutely sees me and hears me, and I do feel like what I say matters. Yeah. I look at that and I think, oh my gosh, between those two, both amazing. The uh, first one, even before I met my partner, now I remember when I was you know single, I would still sit here and think, what would he say right now?
1: Mm.
0: What would he do? Right? Like what would what would he tell me? What are, what are the words of encouragement to pick me up and remind me that I've got this? Yeah. And he would literally say that. He would say, you've got this. Yeah. All the time, right? You've got this. What are you mm-hmm. – what's holding you back? Nothing. Right. You don't need to be held back. And I think that that's so powerful. And too oftentimes when we look at women of color in our relationships, right, Latinas and African-American are statistically most likely to be single mothers. Mm-hmm. Our choices in partners very much stem from what's modeled to us in our homes and always on this why well, I think, and this is not for everybody, but certainly I feel like we've seen this a lot um, and at least heard from our audience members that they picked partners that they thought they were supposed to pick. Mm-hmm. I picked that person because I thought it was the next choice or he asked me or my favorite, which is also the one that hurts me the most. And I know because I've been there. What if it never gets better than this?
1: Mm.
0: What if it never gets better than this? And that is a scary thought, right? Yeah. I that- mean, I think of that as an entrepreneur half the time. I'm like, what if What if this is all it is?
1: Yeah, it reminds me of like the scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've struggled with is. Rather than operating from a place of fear and and scarcity, can I step more into a place of abundance and literally visualizing what it is I'm wanting and feeling that in my body as a way to attract it?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, We don't have to be grateful for everything. But we can be grateful in all things. Mm. Right. I can't I don't have to be sit here, sit here and be grateful for a parking ticket or for something really awful that happened. But I can be grateful in the experience for what it's bringing me to or for what I'm choosing to allow or what I'm choosing to learn from and grow and be tested by. And I think something that you said earlier, we are only ever faced with what like you said, things that we need to know. So if I feel like I'm stuck in a certain area, it's because there is a lesson I have not learned yet. Yeah. And I need to stay there. If I feel like, oh, why am I not moving on? It is typically because there is something that I still need to learn. Yeah. Something that you said in an interview that really, really stuck out to me, and it was for the Yellow Conference. You said you were on a mission to inspire people to treat women with respect and reverence. Mm -hmm. And I love that. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Tupac (laughs) and how he talked about his mom, right? And just, you know, dear mama, you are appreciated, (laughs) right? And there is this sense in me that, um, I don't know why I was picturing like, Tupac but as the Virgin Mary, like kind of going like this, mm-hmm. right? Like the Guadalupe, just all decked out. Love it. But I think when we when we choose those things and we empower those, we have a lot of we give permission for other people to do the same.
1: Yes. Absolutely. I was in a place of feeling completely burnt out when the idea for our signature shirt that says women are sacred came to me in a daydream. And I was looking for a different way to be an advocate for women. And so Our Sacred Women was born of that, of wanting to be able to focus on what I wanted to see more of rather than continuing to tell the world what should not be done onto women. Yes. You know, so that and then wanting to be more of a bridge builder and so trying to find a, a message that could resonate across different barriers, like whether it's race, class, political affiliation, women are sacred to me is is hopefully a platform that people from all walks of life can step onto and and start small, start simple with just one woman in your life. Who you feel is really special to you, who deserves not only your respect, but a sense of reverence. And Yes. And in in seeing the plethora of, of feminist slogans out there and statement t shirts, I'm really proud of what our Sacred Women is offering. I think it's very different in that it's being affirmative without being exclusionary.
0: Yes. I love that. And I think what that really speaks to me is maybe how your relationship with feminism has evolved. And I'm curious, how has your relationship with feminism, do you call yourself that? How has it evolved? And more specifically, how has it changed since you've become a mom?
1: Mm. Okay. There's a lot there to unpack. So yes, I do identify as a feminist. If you look at my social media and like my website, I won't necessarily use the term, but I try to show it in, in what I'm in the content I'm sharing um, in the products I'm putting forth I did not awaken into my feminist identity until my senior college actually and in my early 20s as I was navigating really difficult interpersonal experiences a lot to do with women um, and and realizing how patriarchy and gender were playing such a major role in those relationships and in those dynamics. And it was in doing my own healing and soul searching that I came to a place of, of feeling solidarity with women and with these huge issues like domestic violence, sexual assault, body image. Um, and, and so in doing my own healing work, um, found that Healing was actually in helping others. So using my pain to do something good right, helped me to feel like, oh, I didn't just go through that for nothing. Yes. And now my relationship to feminism has expanded from a place of focusing just on women to focusing on men and women and, and folks who identify across the gender spectrum to rally ar- around women's issues with the knowledge that it uplifts us as a community. Yeah, it truly does.
0: And I think, you know, here at Brown Girls Rising, that's definitely one of our goals. We're called rising for a reason. Mm. It's to elevate the conversation. It's women who are using their own platforms to support and organize their communities through art, music, culture, social platforms, products, through business, which is so, Incredibly powerful to me and I think more stories that I want to hear besides what my Facebook feed is flooded with at the moment Which is lots of hate
1: right just in
0: general Um, And it's how do we cut through that noise and tell the stories that the media isn't always telling us about I want to hear about my peer mentors Mm -hmm. I want to hear about women who look like me. I want to hear about women um, In that capacity. So what is what are those things and really I think having compassion How do we have compassion for others if we can't have compassion for ourselves? And hearing the stories of people who are like us or not like us to learn that compassion for what we don't even realize is happening in other people's lives. I think that's absolutely tremendous. I also want to commend you that you've created this stunningly beautiful line of products. And I read in an interview that you actually don't have an art or design background. Nope. So you have naturally birthed <laughs> this, which I think also speaks to, I hear a lot from our audience, well, I can't do X, Y, Z because I can't blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I don't have this skill set. I don't have that. Before this podcast, I'd never produced a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know what I did? I called yeah. people that I knew who did and I asked them right. and I figured it out and I Googled. I'm a Google expert, basically. Two fingers on a keyboard and a go- and Google and I can like rule the world. I was, um,
1: yeah, I was in that same exact place as as your, your listeners, when I first had the idea for this shirt. And I don't know if others may, may know the story.
0: No, please tell us the story.
1: So it started with a daydream about a man. I was living in Chicago and I was stuck along Lakeshore Drive, which is like our equivalent of Pacific Coast Hi- Highway. Oh, yeah. And I looked over and a ton of people were exercising along the lakefront path. And I just had this vision come to me of a guy jogging wearing a white shirt with bold black letters that said, women are sacred. And somehow I knew he was wearing it in honor of a woman who was special to him. And then fast forward two years. It took me over two years actually to to offer this shirt to the world. I'd worked on it for a few months, didn't turn out quite the way I wanted. Then I found out I was pregnant And just naturally shifted all my attention to growing my baby, Mm -hmm. birthing my baby. And it wasn't until um, October of 2015, I had walked into the cutest store in Long Beach called Sweet Threads. Yes, I
0: know it. And you know it.
1: So the owner, Sheila, was there and we got to chatting. And she at one point asked me, so are you a business owner too? And I felt like the world literally stopped. And I thought to myself, I should be able to say yes right now. And from that seemingly small moment, launched everything that was to come. I dug up all my old boxes and revisited the idea. And I found I felt just as on fire about it then as I did when I first had that jaydream. And I felt like this really, it was like a very spiritual experience. I felt like this call to share this message. Yeah. Like people, like. Like voices, like saying, you like people need to hear this, women need to hear this. And I kept imagining, like, if a woman were to see that shirt, like, on someone walking down the street, like, what could that offer that person in that moment? Or even more, if a man were to wear it. So, to the listeners out there who are feeling maybe insecure or unsure about their capabilities, no, I've been there. It took me years. To get, if you see the shirt, you you may think, oh, that's really simple. Why did it take two years? But then I watched a documentary called The True Cost during mm. the break I took. And that changed my world. It shows you the backside of the fashion, the fast fashion industry, and how um, people and our environment is being exploited to create clothing. And after watching that, I realized I need to make my products in a way that would honor not just the women buying it, but the women who are making it, and also the women who have yet to come by trying to save as much of our earth as we can for them.
0: Okay, I got to jump in on this. We had posted on the Brown Girls Rising page something about, uh, and I'm not going to look it up right now because we're doing this podcast it was about a feminist brand, quote unquote, that had had a very feminist shirt that people were buying. But it's like child labor sweatshop mm-hmm. overseas type yeah. shirt. And it's like, how can you claim to be a feminist brand when women are making pennies on the dollar right. to produce this for you? It's not ethically sourced. Right. And it was a sound off in the comment section. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, and I remember when I when that was posted. I wasn't the one who posted it. Yvette had posted it, and I remember just looking at my phone, going, "Why am I getting all these alerts? Like, what is all this?" And um, just mind blown. I was mind blown, and and the own my own sheer ignorance to sit here and be like, "Okay, well, you bought the shirt. You're supporting women-owned business." And then I sit here and I go. Okay, I see that. I see we don't support sweatshops or child labor. Mm-hmm. I get that, so yeah. I I can re- I can relate to this. But I also sit here and I go, man, does she does the shop owner even know? Like right. as right. as a business owner, I also sit here and think we only do the best with what we can. We all have limited margins of what we're doing and how we can produce what we have with limited budgets. Totally. Um, and the internet is not anyone's friend. It is your best friend and your worst enemy these days, right? Mm-hmm. The same people that'll build you up and, you know, be all your followers are the same ones who will cut you down in an instant. Right. And so, you know, I felt so many feelings of mm-hmm. like how I I don't know who to sympathize with. Like that's yeah. a no-win situation. But I think it's so commendable that you're – that you were even thinking about these things to begin with and – Shifting your thought process around it because I probably would have been that business owner that was like, okay This is affordable. Here's we can make a margins we can do what we do because again Like it's hard to be of service to people if you can't be of service
1: to yourself and literally pay yourself Right, and I think what very much was at play was timing. Yeah divine timing I had wanted to get the shirt out right away, but I got pregnant and I wanted to put it down and I, I'm very grateful that it all worked out the way it did because then I watched that documentary um, right. and that shifted everything. Because initially I did not think of those things. I had more of like this mental, like this knowledge of the social and environmental impact of mm-hmm. fashion, but it wasn't until I saw the footage and I heard their voices that it, it changed everything for me from the way I buy personally to the way I run my business. And and I want to point out, too, that there is an element of compassion in terms of letting yourself evolve as a business owner. Yeah. That, yeah, maybe others who are creating feminist slogan shirts may not be using organic, may not be doing fair trade or made in the USA. um, And maybe they don't know, like you were saying. um,
0: Especially because a lot of these things when you're working – You know, I used to work with companies related to the fashion industry. And if it's happening overseas and you can't afford to go overseas to see these factories, you Mm -hmm. only know what you're being told. Right. Right. And who knows what the, and you have a third party intermediary who's doing this on your behalf. Who knows where they're taking this to or telling you that they're taking it to, but taking it somewhere else for cheaper margin or for a cheaper price per unit to get themselves a better margin. You have no idea
1: sometimes. And that is, That is hard. And sourcing ethically is hard too. Like I spent almost a year trying to find the right vendors. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, But I have a lot of hope that as more businesses are wanting to produce in a way that's transparent and ethical and sustainable, that it'll be easier to find who you need or what you're making.
0: Yeah. I love that. Eileen. it's been such a pleasure to have you. I... Um, as I've said, I've been such a long-time fan, and to have you here is a um, fangirl moment of my own, but also a beautiful space in person as it is online.
1: Thank you.
0: Let our audience know, where can they find you online?
1: Yes, you can visit us online at OurSacredWomen.com and follow us along on Instagram at OurSacredWomen. Beautiful. I can be
0: found at Audrey Bellis, and this has been Brown Girls Rising. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was recorded at Maker City, LA, in sunny downtown Los Angeles. We hope it's inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at WorthyWomenLLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.